Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, what's up? It's your girl Tamara, a.k.a. Girl from Harlem. And this is Ray Daniels, a.k.a. The Culture Referee. And this is The God Show. Today we have a very special guest. I'm going to let Ray introduce My brother, him. my man, this is my dog right here. This is, when I say things on this podcast, it's certain people who I think about when I say it out of my mouth because I know they're going to text me or say some shit to me. Damn right. So he'll be in the comments talking his shit. So I got my brother Tricky Stewart, one of the biggest producers of all time, one of the one of the founders of the Atlanta scene. Tricky's the first guy to have his own studio here. He's one of the first guys to have his own shit here. And you know, I remember coming up in the business, you know, I was trying to break into their studio to get in there and work. So I was hanging out outside, and then you know, he got smarter, put the gate up for people like myself. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Red Zone didn't have a gate. I remember when it was just you could just pull up the red zone. But we got my brother Tricky Stewart here, man. Welcome to the show, Tricky Stewart. Yo, thank you. Thank you for having me. This should be a funny conversation because we have these conversations all the time. Absolutely. So t- all right. So I just want to come in. You have a lot of titles attached to you, right? So you got producer. That's the only one. Songwriter, <laughs> music producer. So that's what I was going to ask you. Which title means the most to you or which one describes you best? I'm a record producer. And what does that mean? It means everything. I mean, the record producer is the person that makes the records. It's the person that picks the writer. It's the person that picks the studio. It's the person that picks the feature. It's the person that chooses a guitar player. It's the person that handles the money. It's the person that keeps it on budget. What don't you do? I'm telling you, that, that's a, by the way, I think he's just sending subliminal, subliminal messages to all the dudes that say they are producers that just make beats and send them off in charge. Tricky's going to let y'all know what a producer does. You got to let them know. So what's the difference between somebody who just sends a beat pack and you? I work for the label. Mm. I guess this is the biggest thing. Like the what the fee is and what the fee actually represents is the fact that there's a compromise that has to be made to get to a hit record. And the producer basically goes in with the artist, figures out what it is that they want to do and what the label is ultimately needing to deliver and kind of meets in the middle and puts that together. And that's where the fee comes from for producers historically is that you're the person that orchestrates and it's not a fee that comes to you. It's the budget comes to you and then you pay everybody that's attached to the project. It's your job to hire every single person that's in that room, every engineer who's going to record that vocal, who's going to mix that record, who's going to master that record, everything in between. It's your job to, to really figure it out. So when you really look at, you know, going back or something like that where, like, if you look at, like, somebody like Michael Jackson, one of the biggest artists in the world, when he went to work with somebody like Teddy Riley, he worked with Rex in Effect because that's what he was on. Mm-hmm. And he was representing Virginia. It wasn't like, let's get the biggest artist. It was like, so if you look at the at, uh, the Neptunes, when they went, when Justin Timberlake was like, I'm going to make an album, he worked with the Clips. Exactly. Like, it's about the culture. So if, if Michael was working with this person, then that meant Heavy D was coming. And mm. that's what... 
that's what it means to be a producer. You're really responsible for everyone, like musically, because it wasn't a marketing exercise of who you put on records. It was about mm. it was a it was a culture thing of something that the artist was coming to you to understand. When you it sounds like like putting a team together is a very intricate part of the record making process, right? So when putting a team together, like what are the things that you look for to kind of make that perfect team that can make a hit record? I mean, me personally, everybody I'm looking for is gifted. So the biggest thing is if I put you in a room with somebody as the producer, I need you to trust it 1000%, even if you never heard of them. It's not about what they've done. It's about what I understand that they can bring to you. So ultimately, there's a, you know, there's just a trust factor that goes on that when you're working with a Mariah Carey, if you look at how Jermaine Dupree worked with Mariah Carey, it was like, it was what Jermaine saw fit because she wanted some of that escape sound. You know what I mean? Like, mm. when you really look at it when you go, Always Be My Baby, mm-hmm. and you listen to that song, that's an escape song, right? Yeah, and so when they hear that thing, they're like, I want more of that. You know mm. what I'm talking about? So it's Respecting the artist's vision and stuff like that, right? I think that that's kind I mean, of the respect, respecting the artist's vision is one part, but that's not always what pays the bills. And so pays I don't... the bills? Hits. Hits. Mm. And how you get to the hits? By studying. You have to know. You have... I mean, if you're a producer, you're not... I don't make music. Like, I make hits. And there's a difference between making music and making hits. Like, I gave up music. When I was in church, and I came here to make hits. <laughs> all right, so before I even get into I all love that, Tricky, I love Tricky. <laughs> you didn't put a church in there. Yeah. Right, that's where music now is. Now you see why I call it. That's my favorite music. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the Elvis movie we went to go see, and all of that comes from the church. So yeah. I agree with you. But you came from Illinois, not Illinois. I said it right, Illinois, right? So, but what then you was, said it wrong. I said Illinois. <laughs> he comes from a very royal family. Of the Stewarts are very our royal musical know, family. Yes, right. They we spoke with um, Mark. Mark. Yeah, yeah, the other day. So, but anyway, I really wanted to ask you, like, what is the biggest cultural difference between Atlanta and Illinois? Uh, Illinois has no no opportunity. Atlanta mm. is um, everything. Why doesn't Illinois have any opportunity? We Chicago, have the internet come now. On? I mean, well, no, I'm going strictly. There, I mean, the opportunities there are just like. There's only a couple things to do in Chicago or Illinois, and it's not it's not positive. And so Atlanta is full of opportunity from the standpoint that the South, like when you start talking about the South, the South is music based. This is a place where music runs everything, mm. not the music business, but just the culture of music itself. Um, and so my introduction to Atlanta was uh, coming to Atlanta and going to Morehouse Mm. With Jermaine Dupree and the kids opening up all the cars and turning on the radio station and everybody dancing in the middle. That's not happening in Illinois. Mm. You know, um, so musically, this is the southern hospitality goes a long way. Um, Atlanta, I thought, exemplified that open, welcome, like come in, be okay. It's okay to be different. Like it's the black Hollywood, you know what I mean? So like Atlanta and Illinois are not the same. They're not they're not they're not even close. Opposites. You know what I'm saying? Right, so I wanna ask you, how did y'all two kinda I, end up crossing paths? So I know Tricky through Mark. I know Mark the way Tricky had all the producers under him and writers like like no bullshit. Like Tricky had all the hot producers 
Like, it was cool as fuck in the early 2000s to say I'm red zone. He know I ain't bullshit. Like, he was like, you say you red zone, I mean you official. Mark had all of the young execs working under him, and he had this executive under him named Greg who introduced us. But I, I, I remember Tricky was like a phenom in the city because he was like the young guy that was coming up. And I didn't even realize that you had all that pressure on you until you did the JT Money record. You know, Mark told me the story. He was like, it was like you was like, it was like you, Dallas, Jermaine, everybody, and you was the last one to like catch your hit on the list, but y'all just maintained your business. So I just remember seeing Tricky like, like when I came into business, Tricky Stewart was Tricky Stewart. I mean, you, he was already Tricky fucking Stewart. Like you knew he was. Um, and, you know, you just was, I had this artist I was managing and he was just trying to get beats from producers at Red Zone. And if you had reviews with Red Zone, you was in there. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the pressure and all that that you allude to, that was just, the, I was given the same opportunities early on as uh, Dallas, JD, and Organized Noise. And um, the people that ultimately I was, like, wanting to compete with were creating waterfalls. That's Mark said. And, you know, like, brat the tat tat and, like, crisscross, and it's like, you know, I it took me a minute. Like I was a little bit of a late bloomer because the part that is um the part that eluded me early in my career is that I can produce with anybody. Like I don't, there's no producer that scares me. But writing Jermaine Dupree, Dallas Austin, those guys, they were excellent songwriters. Yes. Songwriters. Now, producing wise, we may be able to talk like, you know, I'll, you know, for the head to head, head to head, head to head on some production. <laughs> Don't be like, humble. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> out of some production. Those are my guys, love them to death. But uh, they have the gift of songwriting, which is yeah. something that you know, like I'm a workhorse. Like at the end of the day, they're more gifted in that particular thing. But when it comes to what I chase down, which is sonic, like a sonic palette and and how things get recorded, how things work together, and and vision of a song, um, yeah. It's only a few of them. So let me ask you, how did you, I want to know, like, when you came to Atlanta, how was, how was your entrance into the music business? Because everybody knew who you was, and y'all had a lot given to y'all early. Like, how the fuck did that happen? It's interesting you say the word given. Well, I mean, <laughs> you had, no, no, what I mean by that is like, no. you guys, like, my, my thing was that you guys had everything that the guys who had the big hit, like you said, the waterfalls, you had what they had. You had the same opportunities they have. Some people had to fight for those opportunities. Well, they, well, they had it because they had hits. Um, originally, my deal that was offered to me was for a house and three cars. I opted to with LaFace, right? Mm. Uh, like a mansion, like LA offered me a house and three cars. So I took the money, wouldn't sign to LaFace. Mark negotiated so I wouldn't sign to LaFace, but he said, we'll pay you back. But we won't be signed, and we built Red Zone. And that's the beginning of the relationship of the power. Because even though we didn't have the hits, because when I came here from LA, I was coming off of Shantae Moore, Immature, Brandy, like it was like I wasn't driving no projects. These guys is driving revenue. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Yes, like driving revenue. Like I'm like check to check, month to month. Like you know. But at the end of the day, Mark was just like, yeah, we don't really want to be signing nobody. But whatever that money was that you were gonna give for that mansion, <laughs> let us get that in that building that we live in and that we work out of. That's the same building, and at the that was the most important move that we ever really made. 
So you got the production read from L- you got the production deal from LA Reed, right? To do Red Face. Zone. I mean LaFace, yeah. sorry. To do Red Zone, right? Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying that they initially offered you the cars and the house and then you was like, No, matter of fact, give me some cash and I'll start my own thing? Is that Well no, Red Zone was already formed, but as far as Red Zone being a place that people pulled up to that had a perception, like for me it was always very important, like coming up in this industry, being a producer meant one of the main things it meant is you had a place. Mm-hmm. Like DARP was a place. Yep. So so death was a place. Yes. LA and Face had a place. Yeah. Flight time. That's that's the distinction noon of time. Noon, noon time. time. Yeah. Yes. Noon time as well. I always I forget about noon time sometimes because they were my direct competition. Yeah. Like direct competition because the other guys were like out of my league in a way. Yeah. Like the the, the, the numbers that Dallas Austin was putting up at the time were so massive <laughs> that um you know, like, going into the studio, because me and him, like, Dallas is probably, in Atlanta, my closest friend, mm-hmm. like, as far as the Atlanta music scene. And just being around him was completely intimidating at the time. Like, Great. I- it was it completely, in a, completely intimidating. Like, he had every keyboard, every microphone, everything um, that you could possibly want to make a record with. And so... But when you went in the studio, he would keep the cases on the front. Yeah. Because that's how secretive sound selection was. Mm. That you didn't, if another producer came over, even though we was friends, he was like, put the cases on. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, he uses this sound. He uses this keyboard. It was like everything was secretive, you know? And everything was like a culture of competition, like, all the time, you know? So... It was just, it was a different time in that, you know, I think, I feel like the last person that I really had that relationship with that I love so much is Polo, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of where, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road on everybody that wanted to fucking knock your head off for a hit record. Yes. (laughs) After that, everybody was nice. Yeah. They started sharing sounds and shit. I wish I could have got my hands on the Neptune sounds and Timbaland sounds. Or Jermaine Dupri sounds like nah, it wasn't possible. Damn, they was hot and they was sucking the sauce. They yeah. was like, I, yeah, Polo, I Polo, Polo shout out to Polo. He's always known, been known for like opening and like sharing. Like, no, 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 not with me. Oh, first was conversation I ever have a Polo. Polo called me up the first time <laughs> I ever talked to Polo. He's like, Yo, you use my fucking snare, bro. <laughs> <laughs> first thing, like, and we, I mean, <laughs> our first conversation was heated. You know, like, I was like. What makes you think that I need to use your sound? Don't you rap? Mm. You know? I want to get into the R&B stuff because that is what we hear. No, get into, oh, wait, no, no let, get into R&B stuff, but let them talk his shit. I want him to, that's not talking shit. No, talk your shit, not talking talk shit. Talk, talk your talk. shit. Give yourself your flowers. Yeah. But I want to ask you a question. So we've been arguing for a while about R&B and like where it started, who did what. Who do you think set the tone for R&B music? Like, of course, like, we all think 90s R&B was the prime of R&B. <laughs> what do you think? I think it was the 80s. What's I'm the next shoe. Wait, y'all think that R&B music was started in the 80s? No, 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 no. It was who set the tone? Like, what is the prime? Gamble and Huff. Got it. <laughs> she don't know about Gamble. Yeah, I know about Gamble. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Me and Mrs. Uh, Jones, like, I mean, Lou Rawls. Like, yeah, like, come on. They, they, they created the Philadelphia like, sound. Yeah, come on now. Like, I mean. Now, they're the first. They're the first. Get, so tell us who set the tone for R&B. Who set the tone? If we're talking 
specifically 90s R&B. Let's get into it, right? Um, then you're talking Jam and Lewis. You're talking um, Teddy Riley. You're talking L.A. and Babyface. You're talking Jermaine Dupree, Dallas Austin. Those people that Puff I named. Daddy. Who had it on the chokehold? But if Puff Daddy, had- Puff Daddy is more. He comes at it from a hip hop standpoint. When you talk R and B, R and B comes from the church. Like mm. really, when it's all said and done, R and B comes from a place of church musicians, uh, people that make music. Puffy. It, w- it makes lifestyle with his understanding of music through the types of music that he that his mother ultimately played in the house. Mm. But he never took the next step of learning how to play those songs. He made it into a lifestyle, which I make the distinction there between that and the people that I named previously, like Jam and Lewis. So what's your favorite ever R&B? My favorite ever R&B? Favorite era. Like, what era is your favorite? 90s, 2008. Chicky gonna get uh, intricate. Uh, He's gonna say 2007, August. No, 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 no. So he gonna have... When the, when the rain <laughs> exactly. was falling. No, that rainy uh, summer. Uh, uh, late 80s, 90s. So, what, like, what's the song that stands out in your head? When you start falling in love with R&B, what is the song that kind of made you get there? Well, you know, <laughs> I mean... Or artists. I'll take artists. Look, it's... It's Alexander O'Neill, it's Sherelle, it's like, it's the stuff of Jam and Lewis of being the, it's not, it's not the big artist that the, that those people get to when they did Janet Jackson, it's what they did with Karen White, it's what they did with, um, it's what they did with what the culture was then, you know what I'm saying, like the culture was something different at that point, and then the parts that break out ultimately are the things that we have success, and then we call those things R&B, but in that moment, they was called pop. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Here goes my question, because I've been... <laughs> let, let's go, because I, I, I asked you this, but I said I wanted to talk about it on camera. So, R&B, we typically tie to our community, right? The black community. Yeah. Overall, right? That's safe to say. Um, do... Our other counterparts, Caucasian and all them other people, do they have something the same as R and B? Like, what would be their uh, R and B is soul. It's not. It doesn't have a color. Country music is white man's R and B. No, 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 no. You're missing people. You're missing Kenny Loggins. You're missing like people like Michael McDonald. You're missing people. R and B is a soul and you don't it doesn't have a color this is one of the problems mm. in the oh, shit yeah. like shit. r&b doesn't have a color like you can't tell robin thick he's not r&b you can't exactly. tell Rob, john b he's not r&b they never wanted to be nothing else you know so crazy i tell people i knew r&b was in a was i knew we was in a different era when they said justin bieber won't allow you to call his music pop ariana grande it was like we are r&b singers they never justin bieber was never an art, a pop singer. He never wanted to be a pop singer. Why? Why do you think he came to Atlanta and did his why whole you album? Think they managed by somebody from Atlanta who understands soulful music. Like they didn't like aren't like Justin Bieber makes R and B albums, and his record company says, "Let him do an R and B album, and then we'll get the big hit." Mm-hmm. See, I've heard all this kind of stuff for years. Like R and B is Michael Jackson. R and B is Prince. R&B is the best parts of what we are in our musical culture. The biggest things and the biggest thing that we can't do is throw people out when they start doing big shit talking about it's pop. So, like, so give me an example. Give me an example of something that you don't think that we should throw out. Because me Lizzo, Doja Cat. It's a lot of stuff that's going on right now, whether it's uh, Khalid, Frank Ocean, uh, my guy, um, 
what's the amazing Tyler the Creator? It's so many things that black people want to be like. That's not like how we envisioned it. No. Nah. And this is, and I, I'll tell you a story. Is that one of the biggest stories that changed the 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 scope of LaFace is that when Outcast was coming out out of Atlanta and Andre 3000 decided to change his image mm-hmm. and show up on Saturday Night Live with the blonde wig, the product managers from New York was calling down to LA going, yo, like he needs to be like, this is fucked up. Like he's coming up here crazy. Like he needs to look like a rapper. He was like, well, what does a rapper look like? Mm. He's like, I mean, he wears Tim's and jerseys and this and that. <laughs> and like, New York vibe. And his response was, Get the fuck away from my art, <laughs> because we wouldn't have our we wouldn't have we wouldn't have outcasts and bombs over Baghdad and things that you couldn't imagine that we look at today as normal without somebody being like, no, that's not what that looks like. So when people start pigeonholing things and saying that they got to be like this and got to, you know, that's like, that's a slippery slope because ultimately you don't get to Prince Roger Nelson. You don't get to Frank Ocean. You don't get to the things that get celebrated at the large scale by saying this sounds like that. And like, like if Prince wrote, if Prince wrote Raspberry Beret, what song can't you write as an R&B artist? Because he was R&B through and through. Period. But I, I, I just want to say he's backing up my point about my top five uh, CEOs in hip hop. That's what my point was about it. Right? Hold on, hit me out. My point about top five CEOs. Here. Hold on, hit me out. This is my top five CEOs in hip hop. Here's my point. My point is, is that it was that moment that he said with L.A. Reid, and they called him. That moment could have been detrimental to Outkast's whole growth. L.A. could have been like, well, what do you guys think? We're going to do what you guys say. Dre, listen. But L.A. backed his artist. That's what you want a CEO to look like. Not someone who's like, I don't give a fuck, but someone who's passionate about you and your vision. I just had to say that. Yeah, so CEO doesn't just mean being a CEO. Because a lot of people are on me about the CEO (laughs) title. But they don't understand. I wasn't saying, I was saying, what artist would you be okay with your, what CEO would you be okay with your artist being signed to? Not what CEO do made the most money, but who do you feel like Tricky Stewart is like? I'm gonna fuck with him because I know he's what artist. Gonna... What, what's the artist do? It, it's a rap. We talking about rap. You got oh. a, you got a female. You got a, a male rapper all day. That's why they was number three on my list. I'm talking. I'm talking right now. That's they, they was number three on my list all time though. Yeah, I mean they, they honest. They not they, there's no lies. They I mean I just like the way they do they do their thing. Um, I think. They have an incredible vision for themselves, and uh, I got a lot of respect for them. And more importantly, they back their artists Exactly. Up. We're going to do what you want. What do you want? We're going to tell people. When you say, I want to come from a spaceship, land on the, on the, on the ground, and they're like, how are we going to do that? The CEOs are like, fuck that. Figure it out. We're going to figure it out. Our job is to make artists think they can fly. I've seen, and mind you, I worked with LA. I worked under LA reading, and that's the one thing that I noticed that, I'd never seen before was someone who told artists you're bigger than what you think you are. You want to fly at this level, but I know you can fly up here. And to me, that's inspiring because if the person who writes the checks is telling you, if you want to, if you want to build a jet, if you want to fly, I'm gonna build a plane. That artist is going to start thinking like out this world. Yeah. By the way, when Kanye got signed to Def Jam, he even said that. No, he said that. He said that I knew I was going to blow up because L.A. Reid was the CEO and he did Outkast. So I knew if he got outcast that he would get me and what I'm trying to do. I could see that. No, I'm saying, but there's absolutely, I mean, listen, a a CEO, a producer, a writer, or whoever you encounter in this business, 
if they're trying to put you into the thing that they can sell, it's just because they can't sell nothing else. Mm. You know, like, and so the a real CEO, a real record man, or woman, like Sylvia, or like that uh, historically that we've seen, their vision is about your vision. She can't, like, what Missy Elliott did and what Buster Rhymes did at the time when it was being done, they were supported to the highest level. But she also had Metallica. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like And Vogue. And Vogue. Like, each artist was different. And nobody had to go running down the same line that the last song just went through. It was like, no, nah, you need to blaze that trail. Mm. And you need to blaze that one. And you're going to blaze that one. And when you get that right person, they're going to let you blaze a trail because otherwise we would never have, we would never have the likes of Outkast. We would never have the, the likes of a Jay-Z without a Dame Dash. You know what I'm saying? Like it would That's never would happen. Somebody's got to go in there, burn everything down, <laughs> chop all the trees down, put in like the, yes. the kill all the snakes. Yes. Then Stop. get yes. it all the way to the dirt. And then be like, we about to put down, Soil and grass for you, and and that's what it takes, you know. And even if you look at somebody that LA signed like Pink, you know what I'm saying? Like Pink started off a girl from Philly that wanted to be an R&B singer. Mm-hmm. First album was R&B as hell. Second album, she wanted to be a rock star. Most people be like, you can't do that. He let her do it, changed her life. And she sold four million, four million on the first copy. I mean, first time, you know what I mean? It wasn't like it was. It wasn't failure. like it failed. Like, yeah. she was, she was, she but was. But the fact that she was willing to turn her back, rap, she I needed, mean, she wanted, she heard something else for herself. And, and he supported that. And, you know, even like signing Frank Ocean with me, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it is what it is, you know? Like, he didn't get it all the way, but he got it enough. But that's the thing I liked about him. He got you. Yeah. And if he got you, he let you do what you needed to do. Unlike some people, was like, I don't get it. Like, he got you. If he got you, he let you rock. Yeah. Real CEO shit. Well, that, I figured out one thing about that is that you can't take a check to get that opinion. Mm-hmm. Explain that a little bit. You can't take a check to get that opinion. He, he, like, he has that relationship with me because when I'm on the outside, we the same. But when, you're on, when I'm on the inside, we different. Right? And because <laughs> what? Because we work, that will work for you. Mm-hmm. But in my real life, it's his job to chase me. Yes. Right? Like, and, and when I work in this company, I got to chase him. I don't like that part. Because I, I, like, I don't have an <laughs> ego about a lot of shit. But I know what I bring to the table. And, you know, at the end of the day, if I got more Grammys... <laughs> and I, I have a question about that. Since you brought up Grammys, I want to ask this. Is there like a clear cut, like the price today is not the same price as tomorrow? Tricky one, like, Tricky one, best new five, producer at the Grammy five. on stage. No, but you actually, bunch, no, I'm saying, but he actually won on stage though. Like, like it's all Grammys ain't created equal. Yeah, it'd be fake. Like some Grammys you get like on a red carpet. Like you right. won here. Just I think you actually, Tricky, I think you actually went on stage for producer of the year. Am I right? You got to stand on that good old stage? Well, let me just say this. I'm going to pop a little shit. No, the truth is I've never been nominated for producer of the year because it's like, it's one of the little glitches in the Grammys is that you kind of have to submit yourself. Mm-hmm. And by the time you realize that, you're kind of maybe whatever. But I got to accept the award on Beyonce's behalf for song of the year when we wrote it, okay. um, Single Ladies. And 
ultimately, um, it's it's uh you know that was a that was a crazy day because Dream showed up right as the lights was going down. Jay sat next to me as the lights was going down. Was like, "Hey, B can't get ready, but we probably not gonna win. But if she does win, she wants you to accept." Wow. And this is what she wants you to say. And that shit happened when the lights went down. Boop. Not a big deal normally. But have you ever watched the Grammys and seen the song of the year be the first award? Because that's what happened to me. Oh, wow. The first award of the night. Not the first one. Right? And so Top to bottom. when they say the lights is bright, this is how I know I'm not meant to be in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the moments that let you know. Like, I was sitting there and... They called our names, and the way that the song was listed, for whatever reason, it was listed by Kook's name first, which his name is Status. So it takes a second for this to register in my head. I'm like, because we had one one earlier in the before you know the screen comes on. Just one one and it, earlier, and and it kind of like threw me, and I was like, oh, we won. So by the time I get up there, I have a complete flash flood of my body. <laughs> I'm talking about a flash flood. Like, I'm wet through <laughs> and through. From the toes, you ass, you sweat, titties, <laughs> everything wet. Everything wet. <laughs> Collar went from like this, like 1969. I am so sweated out, bro. And those lights, it's the brightest light I've ever seen. I have never felt anything like that. And God bless every artist that can do any sort of entertainment underneath those guidelines. God bless y'all. Yeah, your makeup will melt right in front of your face. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Tell me, can you give me a hit song that you did that was written for someone else that someone else got? I mean, it's a, yeah. I mean, just give me the one that didn't you know, the one that pops in. Cause I, I heard a rumor that umbrella was made for Britney Spears. Yeah. So how the hell does it get to yeah. Rihanna before it gets to Britney? Now Britney Spears was. I know. No, I um, it. I did. Well, the context is I did Britney's album before that, right? Uh, the In the Zone album, and had a very good relationship with her because I ended up taking over the whole project. And but the unfortunate part is between that project, which was two thousand three, and around two thousand five, six, six or whatever that time when that song was written, Britney had had you know some. Um, Difficulty. Exactly. So my relationship was directly with her bodyguard. You know, it was real. Like, you know, so I was going through the label uh, and I sent the record to every all the powers that be um, at the label at the time. And they just, you know, obviously she's a mega star. So nobody can really make her do nothing. Yeah. And they were just like, yo, we just can't get the answer. And um, and then ultimately they just rejected it. And uh, we sent the song to a few people. Um, quietly, and the main person that we sent it to was Karen Kwok. Did you know it was a hit? Because sometimes it's all your babies. Did you feel like this one is? Well, we look because that was the beginning of the explosion. Yeah. Listen, the the part that happened was I was having a little bit of trouble getting the songs that I liked at the time. With I had a, an incredible roster of writers. I had this girl named P Magnet. I had Esther Dean. I had Tyle Cruz. I had Dream. I had Rico Love in the building, and I was just like. Getting so many songs, but I couldn't get the song that I needed based on the project that was coming in. So I 
during that time, it was late December. I said, hey, guys, going into next year, I just want to, I said, everybody's still welcome to come. I said, but I need to uh, get you just to call. You know, I need you to call and tell me that you're coming so I can really, um, you know, make this shit happen. And, exactly. Uh, and so everybody, a lot of, everybody got offended besides Dream. <laughs> Everybody really was offended by that. And I don't know that he wasn't offended by that, but he wasn't offended enough to not show up. Mm. Dream and I had never written together. Mm. Um, Dream was like in the building and more so working with my brother at the time. And the way that my situation is, you know, people think I'm humble. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but the way that my situation really works, it's a lot of work to get in the room. I'm not like, you know, people call me for years and years and years. Hold on, hold on. I know. I tried. I was trying to tell y'all, like, you you couldn't get in the room with Tricky. Tricky was like, he was like, uh, he he was like the Wizard of Oz. Like, he was in the, like, and they, and his brother was his manager, so he kept you, you had to, you had to be special to get in the room with him. Well, because, like, Look at how writing low he is said the most right, writing is like super intimate, you know, and it's not like the era of writing that I come from. We don't just get in a room and start busting on mm. each other, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's like it's a it's a very chemistry. Yeah, it's a it's a like I gotta like it's a different thing. So this created the path for me and Dream to finally write, um, mm. and we had we had experimented a few times. Like when I went out to Brittany. Um, we tell two different stories. Um, one of ours is the truth. I don't know what it is, but somehow he took a shot at the track that ended up becoming me against the music and just did a track down. And, and, and I just always felt he had incredible energy um, when he writes and when he creates. And there was just something always different, but at the same time was really locked into the person that I was um, working with. And I was also dating that person at the time. So it was like a chemistry that was kind of like had some layers to it and it didn't have anything to do with the music. But at the same time, I felt like we were creating some game changing stuff at the same time. But we got this opportunity, this window during Christmas. And I work during Christmas, you know, that's my main thing. Like when everybody goes home, I like to show up. So Dream was the only person that wanted to show up and Kook because I just started working with Kook. So we got in the room. And I don't know how it happened, but we had a 7 a.m. session. What? We started set, like, me and Dream like to work a lot of times, like, really early, like, 6, 7. He came, picked me up about 5.30. Like, we went, got coffee, went to the studio. And by 9 o'clock, we had written Suffocate and Umbrella, and it was our first time writing together. And we just kind of looked at each other and was like, I think we can go home. To oh, answer wow. your question, if we thought it was a hit. I can't say that we thought it was a hit, but I knew that nobody else had nothing like we was working on, Mm. you know, and I like that was when I really figured out originality because my brother Laney with Dream and this girl that I used to work with, P Magnet, he told me, my brother Laney was like, go to L.A., get out in the stratosphere because I had become like a master of like getting money from the music industry. Like not hits though. We know. <laughs> no we know. hits, but we know. I knew how to make A&Rs happy, but not necessarily move the public, which is a whole different thing. And Jermaine and those guys was moving the public and Laney was like, go to LA, get in that, get in the, in a space with them and go crazy. Well, 
we went crazy creatively. Um, it was a lot of ups, a lot of weirdness because this is like, you know, just like we're different. Yeah. You know, he's like, you got to learn how to be uncomfortable. And um, he sent me out there and just got me uncomfortable. He's like, just stop worrying about triangle. <laughs> I mean, red zone, which I'll call tri- red zone. We triangle call it triangle sound, right? Yeah. And so, like, he was just like, don't work in the studio. Don't worry about if the light ain't working. Don't worry about if that's not, like, because once you become a studio owner, and a, like, that's a different thing. And he put me in a different studio for a month, and we wrote all these crazy songs, just, like, not thinking about the music industry, just for the first time really um, not, not finding, like, not trying to, not trying to get paid. Yes. Doing it for passion. Just doing magic. Yeah. Making magic. Not trying to get paid. And so... Um, that's when everything really clicked, when the freedom really clicked. And then when me and Dream got back from having that trip and having that moment and that opportunity clicked, he was ready for that moment because he had left us for a short period, went off on his own, became a writer and producer. And then when he came back and started showing me his stuff, I was like, whatever that is, I'm fucking with that. Yeah. And that was the indicator for me that it was time to kind of move in because... Before that, he was just coming around being nice and trying to fit in and, and getting in where he could fit in. But then he went off and did something with Nivea, a project yeah. that he did in Japan. Yeah. And um, I heard that and I was like, yeah, these concepts ain't um, like what everybody else is talking about. And so we got in and he started writing songs like Umbrella and Suffocate and all these titles that I get to you know, say that I'm part of now, but that part of it is so important to have somebody go put a ring on it or somebody to say, you know, like, like no church in the wild or Holy Grail. Like these ain't, these ain't the concepts that come up in studios all the time. You know what I mean? So that became my life. And then I got used to it. And then there was no, I mean, and I'm just like, on the writing, I, I mean, on the writing stuff, like, man, I just, honestly, it just takes me, I got a process. I got a process, and it's not for today. It's not for tomorrow. It's like I'm. I'm trying to get it. Yeah. I'm not trying to get finished. Like I can work on a record for eight years. It don't matter to me. Mm. Like if once somebody writes it, I'm gonna find it. I'm mm. gonna find it on the production side. Like, but once I hear the lyric, and I know what they're saying, and why, then. But if you're not saying nothing, it's just melodies and harmonies and shit. Like I'm. Like I'm not your guy. Who is your? If you had, to, who is someone that you want to work with that you haven't had a chance to work with? Like, like I remember hearing a dream say his top of his list was Prince, and he was like, Prince was like, that's not gonna happen, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I would never want to work with Prince. Like, uh, I, I mean, I love Prince. Like, that's my number one influence. But um, wait, how is it your number one influence? But you wouldn't want to work with them because all things are not created equal. Um, what does that mean? I like that. It means we not. I'm not there. Like that's a different man now. Like that was a different that was a different type of level. Like if you listen to Darling Nikki, just in particular, I I challenge you to figure out what kind of drums he using. Like, tell me where the sounds come from. I've been doing this a long time. I don't know where the sounds come from. You have one record that you <laughs> produced. Yeah. That feels like Prince made it. Yeah. You know what I'm I talking can, about, right? I mean, I do it all the time, but which one? Fancy. No. You bu- F- 
Fancy feels like Fancy feels like Prince was in the he was in the room. His spirit was in the room. Like I mean, what? His, his prince, prince's spirit is always in my room. But, but yeah. that one I heard. Like that one I heard, and I was like, I remember hearing that more record. Than one I'm plus like, one? him. More than one plus one. More than okay. So fancy. Know. So one plus one still feels like I'm telling you about my heart. Like <laughs> like it feels doing. like I'm trying to te- make sense to you. Fancy just felt like. Y'all was in heaven or on some kind of drugs, and it was just like beautiful women walking around, and y'all was just it, like, Do it was, the shit. it is. Like, it was like, bro, who, like, like, it was definitely cocaine in the room, <laughs> drugs in the room. It was crazy, and it had to, even if it wasn't, God was in the room, it was that certain records I hear, and I'm like, bro, like, what the fuck was you on when you made that? Like, Fancy is that kind of record where it's like, and then the way you sped it up and slowed it down and all we do. And it was so dope. You had to do a remix and gave it. A, and then they give it to did y'all give it to like Fab or somebody. And he made a remix to it or something like that. He made a remix. We didn't make that remix. Brother, brother certain records like LA, L.A. will always say certain records. God was in the room when they was made. Yeah. No, fancy I, was one of those records. Yeah, Fancy is. Uh, is uh, that's my Picasso. That's oh. our. That's See what I'm that's, saying? That's how I want. A Picasso. That's his Picasso. That's your art. Right, yeah, so that's I it. Wanna and I don't like art much, but I like. <laughs> I like you hits. Are, you like literally are walking artists. Um, so I want us to get into what we came here for our R and B debate. Before we jump into that, I do want to ask you: What is the biggest difference between R and B music back in the day and to R and B music that we have right now? Uh, the biggest difference between R and B music. Of yesterday and today is that when music isn't good enough, we call it R and B. Oh my God, I don't <laughs> want no parts. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, say that again. Say that again. Hold on, say that again. We call it R and B when it ain't good enough. Hold on, when it's not good enough, we call it R and B. Yeah, I thought it was the opposite. I, I thought sometimes no it wasn't good enough to be called R and B. Nah. Can you explain a little bit? I'm gonna look down because I don't. Listen, oh. some of these songs ain't as good as the people be pretending they are. Like, listen, like when you write great songs, you don't have to choose between culture, R and B. They don't call it nothing. They call it. Have you heard? Mm. Have you heard a Beyonce new song? Like right now, people trying to say Beyonce made a dance album. She's an R and B artist. She made a up tempo album as an R and B black girl from Houston. Like. Uh-huh. I don't care what nobody say. That it's not it's like the playlist and got people's heads twisted about when you hear a tempo, you think this is R and B. Like no, Babyface and Diane Warren was responsible for making you feel that R and B was a down tempo game. Mm. Like they made it, and it's particularly when Babyface lost L A. L A. brought the rhythm to the records, and when he didn't have that drum dude. He started making slower songs because that's what he could do. You see why I like talking to him? I know. I just, I'm just like, like I love talking think, to him. Like, think he, about it. Like, he tells the truth. The, yeah. the Stevie Wonder sing slow. The, like the Stevie Wonder song, slow songs. Are they slow? I no. mean, are his great they, songs they, are they, they slow? They, they, but not only that, the slow ones didn't feel slow. It still yeah, felt like it was a doom. Yeah, but it still had a rhythm. But when you to go it. in and listen to all Michael Jackson's great songs, Off the Wall, and all that, do you feel like there's a oh, this is a great song and this is not? No, no. you don't because. You can write a great up-tempo song. Or you can write a great song that has tempo. It, like, it's not, R&B is not slow. It's a lot of people talking like they R&B aficionados of, of records and stuff like that. And it's like, no, sometimes your record isn't good enough, like, at the end of the day. You know exactly. what I'm saying? I agree. Your record's not good enough. It's so, not great so enough. So if you had to say something, if you had to say the demise of R&B uh, I would never say that. No, I said if you had to say there was a demise of R and B, what would you say? Like, what would you say was one of the things that hurt it? 
Because I feel like it's like the purest version of of, of love and emotion. The, um, the, the biggest demise of R&B will always be the idea of when Los Angeles gets involved and says, you need a big song. Mm. You, need a, you need a crossover. Mm. When you start trying to Chasing. do yeah, when you know. start trying to do something yeah, that that you're not that's not home mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not a great song. It just means that it's not for you. Like you know what I mean? Like think about Escape, right? Take Escape, Escape, super dominant in their space. Then somebody got in their ear and told them that Jermaine Dupri. Wasn't good enough, but he was good enough for your biggest artist in Mariah Carey because she needed that. But the same group on the same artist needed someone else to make a song called "Run to the Arms," and I feel like that took that changed the trajectory of them. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that uh, whether that's Tony Braxton or whoever that is, and coming with an "Unbreak My Heart," yeah, it was cool. It was a great song. But love should have brought you home. Love should have brought you in seven whole days. What? And and those records that she has made, particularly with Kenny uh, Babyface Edmonds, they never. Even when they pop, they never missed us. They never. But missed. black artists have to learn to never dance to the to the, a different drum. Say it again one more time. Hold on, they might not, you they might not have heard you. Hold on, you can't I, dance to the beat of a different. I ain't never heard you say. I never heard I say that before. You said if, if even if it's pop, it still didn't miss us. So yeah. it's okay to be pop, but don't miss us. Yeah, don't miss us. Like, I don't feel like when people talk about, like, a record like, oh, my God, like, for Usher, which was an EDM record, he's still, Will I Am still signed by Eazy-E, right? Yeah, he's still sold. He's still, it's still, it's still black music at still the core. But that's a, that's a different conversation than more. You know what I'm saying? That's a different song. It got a different drummer playing the beat. Yes. So you have to don't change the drummer. <laughs> you can change. You can change the chords. Don't change the drummer. It need to be it's very important. It needs to be someone in the room. But All let's right, get so to our list. Yep, let's, let's get to our list. Right now, I'm, I'm about to go hide under the table because it's no, no, it's okay. Like, it's okay. So Tricky okay. told me. Tricky said, Ray, I want to do top five female vocalists from the '90s on. Wait, before we even, get I gotta into make this? sure we said we're not talking catalog. We're not talking hits. We're talking vocalists. This turned out office no, upside down. We've been arguing. No, this, 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 we had a whole, this had the whole office screaming so, and yelling. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. So, interested so what you talking about? Hold on. What you Uh-oh. talking about? I'm talking about 90s, 90s vocalists. Period. 90s and part vocalists. of being a great vocalist. Male and female? No. Oh, female. female. Okay. And part of being a great vocalist is singing female great songs. Oh, shit. We all good then. Let's go. Uh-oh. So, so, so tricky. So tricky. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, hold on, hold on. So the, way, so the whole way it goes, tricky. You have to. The show is called the God Show. It stands for goats and underdogs. Let them know. You have to give us your five goats. I mean, your five underdogs and your five goats from five to one. So we are gonna let you start with your your underdogs your first. Underdogs from the nineties. From the nineties. Just state them. You don't gotta yeah. give us an explanation yet. We're gonna go back. So we can give the explanation, but run through your list. My underdogs. Vocalists. Kelly Price, Tamia, Faith Evans, Deborah Cox, Tamar Braxton. Fucking forgot. We See, did too, though. We, listen, we, I was having, listen, I told my whole team, Cardi, you right there. I said, y'all motherfuckers need to help me because he ain't going to come to play with me. He ain't going to come to play with me. You just said two names I ain't think about. 
Man. Okay, okay, you got one more, no? No, no, he got it, he got it, he got it. Okay, I mean, I, I have other ones. No, 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 no. I picked the top, I picked five. I, I picked five out of my seven. I got like that. He didn't, he can't pause. Hold on. Come on, Ray, step up. All right, my five underdogs vocalists are Mary J. Blige. Okay. Brandy, underdogs. Mary J. Blige, five. Brandy, four. Coco from SWV, three. Number two, Kelly Price. And number one, Kiki Wyatt. These are your underdogs? Okay. That's what's up. That's what's up. <laughs> underdog list. Are, are we going to explain this now? No, no, or are we going to go straight no, into, no. Uh, into the goats? Let's go to the goats. No, let's go to the goats. Let's go to the goats. Bring them out. Bring them out. <laughs> Come on. Let's go. Ding, ding, ding. I do have, I do have one person I want to say that appears on both of my lists, honestly. Who? Oh, I like that. We never had I'll that tell you. I'll tell you after oh, I say. He said after. Not the preview. Um, my goats are... Whitney Houston five, no. Mariah Carey four. I didn't. I'm not rating. Okay, we know we doing. We rate from five to one. Oh, oh well, let, me, let, me, let me let me let me let me go back. Bring it back. Um, and that wasn't in order. No, no, it's no, cool. Either. I just said you fucked me up when you said Whitney five. It's like come uh, on. Give me a- at five, I'm going Mary J. Blige. Four, I'm going Coco from SWV. Oh, it's getting intense. Three, I'm going Brandy. This is tough right here because I um that's three right yep. yeah three is Brandy I'm, I have to go Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston uh-huh. is number who's, one who's one Whitney's one Whitney's always okay. one Thank and you. it's not even close there's uh, somebody who I be but I just want to this has a caveat because uh, Lauren Hill is in mine. At the top, <laughs> we, got, we got honorable mentions. And, we'll come back. <laughs> and Tony Braxton is we'll, on both of my lists. Mm. She's on the top. She should, and, she's on I the like top that. and the bottom. Can I tell you why I like these lists? Because it kind of tells you how to see people. Because it's like it was certain names I had where I was like, I "How do they?" Don't try to give excuses. I ain't giving no excuses. Let me get my five. I ain't giving no excuses. Hold on, <laughs> my five. Here go my five. Number five. Because no, he be bringing a backup. Number, That's number why. Number five is Jasmine Sullivan. Number four is Jennifer Hudson. Underdogs. Wait, Underdogs. This Underdogs. is goats. Oh, this is goats? Oh, shoot. Get, that was his goat list. Let me get my goat list. Number five is Jasmine Sullivan. Number four is Jennifer Hudson. Number three, Mariah Carey. Number two, Beyonce. And number one, Whitney Houston. Okay, Braxton, when you do this, can we please have a visual? Because I need to see these goats and underdogs compared. Because <laughs> we done switched and crossed and did some but things. I th- Hold on. So you had Mary J. Blige in your well, in your goats. You had her in your underdogs. I know because we were saying Mary, vocals. I agree. Mary so J. Blige has a better catalog than all of them. Probably that's not what we said. I'm right? I'm the email I'm, said vocals. I'm outdone. I'm silent. Hold on, what? You had come to finish. You had come stand on stage. You had tell us why. Hold on, Mary. Mary, I said she was on my goat list. And the entire team was like, no, Bro. she's an underdog. No, 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 because they talking. They over there, they, they huddling in the corner. Look at Shayna. I was prepared for Bro. you. Let me, let me explain, Go ahead. Let me explain something to you, Ray, L- let's hear Ray it. Daniels. Ooh, you know you're in trouble when the principal say your whole name. The principal My has said your whole name. To put... Oh. And this is no shade at anybody. Let's go. Tell me the top five. Like, Underdogs, no, 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 Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson, Jasmine Sullivan. Mariah Carey, Beyonce, and then Whitney Houston. Listen, two of them people need to go. That's the first two. I'm going to tell you why. Because part of being a great vocalist is the idea that you have to be able to identify a great song. And so 
They disqualified. Because if you're going to play, I don't know what you're going to play after Spotlight, but no. It, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to play. I don't know what record you're going to play me if I play you a Whitney Houston song. No, no, but and Whitney Houston number know, one. She's not, me and you got the no, same no, one and two. I don't know if I'm going to play Lauryn Hill what Jennifer Hudson record you're going to play. We were saying no. vocalists. We wasn't it. talking about. No, but vocals, we said vocals only. And no, we no. was talking about songs. I was specific. I heard you say vocalists. First off, let me just tell you, one, part of being a vocalist is being able to deliver um, is is the the magic is in delivering the song that needs to be delivered the way it needs to be delivered and right so <laughs> Whitney Houston from like just Whitney Houston as a voice of obviously like everybody's career gets shrunk down but I'm just saying just the bodyguard alone makes her no no, no woman has a better that. song vocal performance than Whitney Houston um but but think about but, 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 but me and Jay but no. Ray, but think about, but uh, no, think about how will I know. Think about I'm Every Woman. Think about what she oh, did. So what you was songs. Earlier. Think about think about the Queen of the Night. Things that she did as an up tempo singer, as well as saving all my love for you. The versatility. I agree. What versatility. Have you seen in those two particular artists? Like from this gamut to that. I, I'm gonna stand on my shit, but I'm gonna say something. Everybody here know for the first 45 minutes of our argument, my top three is my top three. The last two was the one. Don't that bring in the I'm standing on my shit. This is what you came no, in stand, front of the camera. No, no, no. Hold on. I'm standing and you on my, to hold on. people. It's only one it's person he said that. I, it's only one person he said that I'm like, I didn't think about that. And that's Deborah Cox. Hello. You should have thought about a vocals. lot of people. We saying vocals. Your list is absolute shit. Huh? Your list is shit. You bugging. You, hold on. Boo. We got the same people. Kelly Price. Kiki Wyatt is not an incredible vocalist. On the underdog list. I don't say. Listen, I don't have a song that she can sing. Like, I don't like. But we talking about vocalists. No, we vocalists. How you how you evaluate a vocalist is by delivery of something that we can't live without. Ray, defend your vocals. It's just you can't separate. You can't separate the two. And when I thought about this list in detail, because I can't say like Mary J. Blige. I can't tell you that Mary J. Blige in the nineties was the greatest vocalist, right? But I had to put her first because when I listen through the material, if somebody makes you feel the way that she make you feel on those first two albums, like in particular, and all the way through, and now she's, a, now she's an amazing vocalist. But I'm talking about, it's about delivery. And when you listen to Real Love, when you listen to Reminisce, <laughs> when you listen to those songs, these are things that cannot be separated from a feeling standpoint to our culture. From this point forward, I will make every decision right. on my own. Everybody in because the everybody, I, everything you saying, I said, I was like Mary J. Blige, because I was like, but we was I like. I want to say, I'd be telling Ray, stop getting back up. Stop hold asking on. for the no, 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 hold in on. the back. Hold you did this on your own, right? No. Ray should have stood on his own authentic opinion. Hold on. Uh, he knew he was coming for war. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to just say this. So, hold on. So, 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 you know what? You knew he was I ain't going to lie. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you your list. I'm going to give you your list. I, my, I just said my your, list, list, your list is better than mine. Can I? Can I? I just, listen, I, I, I never have I ever I, done I, that. Ding, ding, ding. I've ever done bell. that. I said your list is better than mine. Shit. I, I, listen, I my just, list was ours, but it's mine when it lost. You know, daddy's maybe. What they, no, what they say, no, 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 no. What they, what they say with that statement, like, uh, uh, success has many fathers, but uh, <laughs> failure is a fucking orphan. I'm an orphan today. It's all good, but I appreciate it. I knew you was coming. I knew you was coming, and we literally, we was in here playing everything. 
And only man, the only person that really truly helped me was Cardin. I got to get my man Cardin because Cardin, he was in it with me and we was there. Look, I, I challenge, I challenge y'all to listen to to Mia's first album. Listen to you put a move on my heart. Listen to her vocal on you put a move on my heart. Her very first offering into the music business. Listen to that. The, be, the best female vocalist song of all time is Whitney Houston. I have nothing. I mean. It's one of I have them. No, I mean, like, to me, I just can't. That's one of them. So give me some more. Give me some more. That's one I of mean, them. I mean, we talking this era? Are we talking? No, we're talking. We're talking. We're talking. We're talking. We're talking. No, no, we're talking. We're talking. We're talking. He said the whole gang. He said a No, but I'm just saying, like, vocalists, like, I can't think of a better song vocally that a woman has done than Whitney Houston, I Have Nothing. Like, that is, like, the peak of vocal. Like, it's like God. Like, God was in the room. She was out. He stepped in her body and sung out for her. That's exactly what happened, I think. I'm almost sure that's exactly. But hold on, hold on. I got oh, I got no. I got to do my list for you, Tricky. Mm-hmm. Here's my top oh. five. This is my this is why I give my man his flowers, and I the tell him list. my my favorite my Tricky list. Here's my top five underdog records for Tricky. My top five in order. Five, actually five is Beyonce Dance for You. Four is Novocaine. Number two, number three is Fancy. Number two is one plus one, and you're going to love me when I say this. And number one is JT Money, who that? Okay. You know, <laughs> I got to give who that. He ain't know that. that <laughs> was no, no, no. One. He know why I'm saying that, because who that was like the record that saved. That, I got to give that. That's the underdog, because it's a record that people wouldn't know how important it was to the. Where, What's your top five? The top five, in order. Mary Just Fine, The Dream Falsetto, The Dream Rocking That Shit. Beyonce single ladies and umbrella Ella Ella umbrella number a, five a, huh no it can't uh, be. Uh, number no five. no umbrella's number one I went five the five the um one okay what you got oh he got his own top of himself give me your top no. give me your top five that tricky's done your five For, um successful like uh, I mean, underdog no, your like, underdog that you like I just personally love this record um shoot this is tough because I really don't think about fails um. <laughs> Excuse moving Mountains. Five. Usher Moving Mountains. I was singing that when I was in high school. Like, I went through something. High Price by Sierra. Okay. Listen to it. It's the best shit I've ever done. Puffy brought me over to his house to watch me listen to it for a whole day. Wow. High Price by Sierra? I'm going to go check that Ride out. Ride was the second follow-up. The label didn't think the first one was it. It was the one. It was her version. of. It was her. When we were on Absolutely in Our Zone, it was the one that was the one for her. And then we came back to the same conversation with her and um, Luda for Ride, but mm-hmm. High Price was the one for me. Um, two. Yeah, I, I don't, you know. It's hard to grade yourself. Uh, no, it's just like fail. No, not failures. <laughs> just records that one hits on the radio. Like yeah, it that's just... a fail. <laughs> radio, <laughs> does not, radio does not make it a hit. Uh, that's a fail. Um, be a young boy, ain't got no songs. Favorite records that I've made. Um, let me think. Okay, this you still got two favorite, and you got to give your your, your, your goat that. list. Rocking that shit, number two. Yeah. No, or number your dog list. Rocking the rocking that is that shit. Yeah, rocking that was a bigger record than it, it should have been. Bigger should have been way bigger, right? Um, and and by the way, it's one of the rare records that if it came out right now, 2022, it would still go. Rocking that TikTok um, would have been going crazy right now. There's a record that I did on Mario called Starlight that I should have given to Maroon 5 that they begged me for it, that I shouldn't have never given it to them. It would have changed Maroon 5's life. Um, so Starlight, Starlight, Mario, number one. Tell them. Number get, two. Number two. 
And these for me, these are the records I'm talking creatively. Yeah, this is this is you, your taste. Oh. Uh, there's a record that we did with Usher and Mary J. Blige called Shakedown on the Growing Pains album. Okay. I don't yeah, know that one, but I'm I mean, listen. The album was great. We won album of the year. Um, but it was a lot of marketing campaigns going on and they were weakening the songs by doing marketing exercises. So some of the songs never got to the, so everybody thinks it was just fine, but it's literally one of the most, it's one of the most uh, fulfilling albums that like, I was like, oh shit, we did some shit and it didn't happen. Like to the, I mean, it it happened. Don't get me wrong. We sold 800,000 the first week. Yeah. It was like, but it didn't, you know what I'm saying? So tell me your five GOAT records. Tricky Stewart, these are my five gems. Fancy. Five. Four, one. One is Fancy? Oh, no. Novocaine. Two. Umbrella. Three. Single Ladies. Four. Come on now. <sighs> Got one left. I'm going to have to give it to the king. It's just we did so many great ones. I just want to say love, hate. The album Love Hate Yo can I say something I'm, I'm not even bullshit And I ain't saying it Because you just hear I put Love Hate In my top 10 R&B albums Ever made Really What No I just never heard you say that No 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 I, I would say that too That's that I album mean, would, That I, album is like, That album is art That speak, album is art Realistically it could, it could be in the conversation I'm not saying that it is it, No it, no, it, it is saying, though saying so It you could it, I don't, I don't, Playing like, in my hair Falsetto Like what I love your girl Come on man Y'all bugging Shorty's a 10. Shorty's a 10. That was my callback ringtone for so long. Shorty's a 10. I thought I was going to jump out at 23 in a Benz. (laughs) So, man, we just want to thank Tricky for coming. Oh, wait, no, before Tricky goes, I have a question for him, and we know we got to ask this. Do you consider yourself a goat or underdog? I don't consider myself either one of those things. This, um, you have to, you got to, every day, you have to prove it. You have to prove it every fucking day. Like, there's nothing, nobody cares about old news you know what i'm saying so it's just i'm not that goat conversation i come from a generation with a goat the goat conversation is reserved for one person in my mind and that was michael jordan mm. like it's not a series of goats michael jordan became the goat because he at the time overtook entertainment in its entirety over michael jackson over prince over everybody that was doing everything every actor with the most cinematographical, I mean, that's not a word, cinematic thing. (laughs) (laughs) The most cinematic thing that you could do at that time is watch a person perform live. Mm. And then you know what's going to happen and then watch them do it. That is not a title that I would ever, I would never be in a GOAT conversation. I don't think that there is any GOAT other than Michael Jordan. And like, that's like I just don't. I hate that conversation. Well, we put you in a goat conversation. Yeah. You we, the underdog mentality, but y- your records is goaded. It's some. He's it's some niggas that you like, made. No, it's a lot of people that want to be goaded. No, 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 no. He, no, he, he, no, no. I, no, you can't. He has listen. a mama mentality. He no, basically saying, "I gotta goated. wake up and do it every day, yeah. so I can't get caught up in what I've done." Mm-hmm. But if you look at what you've done. You actually say you have a Picasso in your in your catalog, and that's fancy. Yeah, but, like, but, but no, but see, that's not like listen. This that's goat some goat shit. No, listen, this goat conversation. You gonna you done struck a nerve because ultimately, like, listen, this there is no goat. Like, if you know that Quincy Jones exists, shut your mouth. Agreed. 
If David Foster's out there, be quiet. Mm. You're not a goat. You're not. I don't care how many records you get. I don't care how much success you have. When you can't walk into a studio and do that, like, you know what you're capable of. When I walk in the studio, I know what I'm capable of. And I see people that I walk in the studio and be like, God, to be more careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, and so you have to, like, you have to, to you have to have great friends. You got to, like, if you ever watch them, you'll never have that conversation. You ever been around Max Martin, Pharrell, like, you're not having that kind of conversation with yourself. Like, you're fooling yourself. I challenge you to pull up a Pharrell Williams playlist and then pull up a, Deptunes playlist And then call yourself a goat I challenge anybody to do that You don't do that Like Jermaine Dupree These people Man They forgot about more hits than you got And you calling yourself a goat They mm. don't even remember their catalog Facts mm. Shut the fuck up mm. Period Tricky message to the young, young community goat. That's the end of the show I love it <laughs> Cut from there Thank you my brother Tricky Stewart for showing it's up It's a girl <laughs> Wait see now you done fucked me up Oh go ahead go ahead now you don't. Go ahead. It's, me. it's your girl. All right, no, no. It's your girl. Best me. Cut it out. This is the God Show. Thank you for tuning in. We're sitting here with Ray Daniels, and we're not gonna call him a goat, but what should we call you? The legend, the man, the man. Call me a producer. Oh, the producer, the one a and producer. only. Producer. Oh, that's it. A producer. I still got a job, y'all. Yeah, I got a job. He still got work life. to do. He still got history to write. Thank you for being on Thank the show, Tricky. Let's go. Thank you for having me. Stay safe, guys. Thank you.